Welcome to the February 27th episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll review efforts to improve the activity of CAR T-cells, explore the impact of protein C activator AB002 on thrombus development, and look at results from a UK study on minimal residual disease status and outcome after transplantation in NPM1 mutated AML. Our first topic examines data presented by Ali Dufa from the Helsinki University Hospital Comprehensive Cancer Center and their Finnish and Austrian colleagues in the blood article, Integrated Drug Profiling and CRISPR Screening Identify Essential Pathways for CAR T-Cell Cytotoxicity. According to this informative study, a survey of immunomodulatory effects of over 500 drugs identified SMAC mimetics as sensitizers to CAR T-cell cytotoxicity. Using a genome-scale CRISPR screen, the investigators also identified the essentiality of death receptor signaling for CAR T-cell cytotoxicity. The therapeutic approach to relapsed and refractory patients with B-cell malignancies has been revolutionized by chimeric antigen receptor T-cells, commonly referred to as CAR T-cell therapy. However, roughly 50% of patients with B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia treated with CD19 or CD22 CARs will relapse, and following treatment with CD19 CAR, approximately 60% of patients with B-cell lymphomas will fail. In an effort to improve the activity of CAR T-cells, Dufa and colleagues focused their investigation on both CAR T-centric and tumor-centric mediators of CAR cytotoxicity. To this end, the authors combined a drug and small molecule screen with a genome-wide CRISPR-Cas9 loss-of-function screen to identify the immunomodulatory effects of various pharmacologic agents on CAR-T cytotoxicity and to provide insight into genetic mediators that modulate CAR-T cell activity. First, the authors identified several drugs that inhibit CAR-T cell cytotoxicity. These included the calcineurin inhibitor tacrolimus, MAP kinase pathway inhibitors, JAK inhibitors such as ruxolitinib, PI3 kinase inhibitors, and additional tyrosine kinase inhibitors such as desatinib. Notably, dexamethasone, which is used to treat CAR T-cell therapy-related toxicities, only minimally affected CAR T-cell cytotoxicity. A lack of interference with CAR T cytotoxicity was similarly noted with the BTK inhibitor ibrutinib, which is an FDA-approved therapeutic for various B-cell malignancies. Whereas tacrolimus, MAP kinase pathway inhibitors, and the TKIs ponatinib and desatinib strongly suppressed T-cell receptor, or TCR signaling, JAK and PI3 kinase inhibitors exhibited negligible effects on TCR signaling, yet potently suppressed CAR cytotoxicity, suggesting other mechanisms of action. Most of the observed drug responses were similar with or without CD28 co-stimulation, suggesting that their inhibitory effects were not specific to CD28-mediated co-stimulation and could be generalizable to CARs containing different co-stimulatory domains. 
In contrast to the inhibitory effects of the aforementioned drugs, the class of apoptotic modulator agents known as SMAC mimetics, such as berinipant, sensitized B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma cells to anti-CD19 CAR T-cells. CRISPR screens on leukemia and lymphoma cell lines identified death receptor signaling through FAS-associated death domain, or FAD, and tumor necrosis factor-related apoptosis inducing ligand receptor 2, or TRAIL-R2, as key mediators of CAR T-cell cytotoxicity and elucidated a RIPK1-dependent mechanism of sensitization by SMAC mimetics. The expression of death receptors FAD and TRAIL-R2 was not uniform among various subtypes of B-cell malignancies, nor was the impact of disrupting these genes. This heterogeneity in the expression and functional dependence on certain death receptors likely reflects differences in the genetics of various tumor types. In turn, this may influence sensitivity to CAR T-cell cytotoxicity and explain primary and adaptive resistance to CAR T-cell therapies. In summary, the authors have developed robust pharmacological and genetic screens to identify factors that augment or suppress CAR T-cell cytotoxicity. Their platform can be used to interrogate the impact of drugs and genes across a spectrum of CAR constructs and their target tumors. While the author's assays did not address the in vivo effects of drugs on CAR phenotype, persistence, and exhaustion, their work is an important step in enhancing our understanding of CAR biology and identifying potential drugs which may be used as part of novel immunotherapy combination strategies. Next up, we'll discuss the blood article entitled Protein C Activator AB002 Rapidly Interrupts Thrombus Development in Baboons and Appears Safe in a First-in-Human Trial by Eric Tucker from Oregon Health and Science University and his U.S. colleagues. This study found that AB002, known as EWE thrombin, rapidly interrupts thrombus development and prevents acute vascular graft occlusion in baboons. In a Phase I first-in-human clinical trial, AB002 produced transient protein C activation without substantial systemic anticoagulation. Thrombosis and thromboembolism can be effectively halted and reversed through the use of antithrombotic and thrombolytic therapies. Unfortunately, bleeding side effects may hamper their efficacy and often prevent antithrombotic drugs such as heparins or plasminogen activators from achieving their full benefit. Thus, there remains a need for effective and hemostatically safe antithrombotics. Thrombin is a key enzyme in the coagulation cascade and is required for both normal hemostasis and pathologic thrombogenesis. It also participates in its own negative feedback by resulting in generation of activated protein C, or APC, which downregulates thrombin generation by enzymatically inactivating factors 5A and 8A. Beyond its anticoagulant activity, APC activates cytoprotective mechanisms through protease-activated receptor 1, or PAR1-mediated signaling, in endothelial cells, 
reduces prothrombotic and pro-inflammatory neutrophil extracellular trap formation, or natosis, and helps maintain the integrity of the blood-brain barrier. Unfortunately, systemic APC administration has the capacity to impair hemostatic thrombin generation, as APC that is not surface or receptor bound remains an active anticoagulant in the fluid phase of blood. While potentially effective, the use of recombinant APC for treating thrombosis has not been clinically pursued. The therapeutic window of wild-type thrombin is too narrow for its safe clinical utilization. Structural analyses identified key residues involved in thrombin substrate specificity, leading to the rational design of thrombin analogs with impaired procoagulant activity. In this regard, the thrombin mutant W215A, E217A, also known as WE thrombin, has been one of the best characterized constructs with selective activity toward protein C. It has hundred to several thousand-fold reduced catalytic activity toward its prothrombotic substrates, including fibrinogen and platelet PAR1, but retains activity toward the antithrombotic substrate protein C when in complex with thrombomodulin. In baboons, low-dose WE thrombin prevented thrombus formation comparable to interventional IV doses of low-molecular-weight heparin or high-dose exogenous APC, but without detectable primary hemostasis impairment. The WE thrombin-induced antithrombotic effect has been observed at a much lower level of systemic anticoagulation than what was needed to achieve a similar efficacy when exogenous APC infusion was used in this baboon thrombosis model. The investigators hypothesized that one mechanism by which WE thrombin could exert its antithrombotic activity was through protein C activation under intravascular shear flow on the vessel wall or thrombus surface. The investigators suggested that at the blood thrombus interface, surface-associated endogenous APC is generated by WE thrombin in situ, with a slow or limited escape of APC into the circulation, causing only moderate and transient systemic anticoagulation. AB002, or EWE thrombin, is an E. coli-derived protein C activator recombinant thrombin analog that is in development for thrombotic and inflammatory indications. Tucker and colleagues sought to characterize the molecular properties of AB002 to evaluate its effectiveness using an acute thrombosis treatment model in baboons and to identify molecular mechanisms that may help explain its potent antithrombotic activities. In addition, they explored AB002's safety and activity in a Phase I clinical trial in healthy adult subjects. The authors demonstrated that AB002 is a potent enzyme that is able to rapidly interrupt arterial-type thrombus propagation at exceedingly low doses, for example, less than 2 micrograms per kilogram IV, without substantial systemic anticoagulation in baboons. The team also demonstrated that AB002 produces APC on platelet aggregates and competitively inhibits TAFI, or carboxypeptidase B2, activation in vitro, which may contribute to the observed in vivo efficacy. In the Phase I study, 
AB002 was given intravenously to 16 healthy volunteers at doses ranging from 0.5 micrograms per kilogram to 4 micrograms per kilogram with an additional 5 subjects receiving placebo. There were no serious adverse events experienced and no subjects were removed from the study due to adverse events. AB002 produced a temporal, dose-dependent prolongation of the partial thromboplastin time that peaked at 15 to 30 minutes and returned to baseline by 2 to 4 hours. AB002 did not measurably impact the prothrombin time, platelet count, fibrinogen levels, nor D-dimer levels, which were evaluated by ELISA in a subset of patients. In conclusion, this study identifies new putative mechanisms by which low doses of AB002 can rapidly interrupt developing arterial-type thrombi. AB002's effects appear to be primarily exerted locally at the site of propagating thrombi under sheer flow, and therefore may spare the excessive systemic bleeding with traditional antithrombotic agents. These data support further clinical evaluation of AB002 as a potentially safe and effective new approach for treating or preventing acute thrombotic and thromboembolic conditions. Our final topic explores a fascinating new study entitled Molecular MRD Status and Outcome After Transplantation in NPM1 Mutated AML, results from the UK NCRI AML17 study by Richard Dillon and colleagues on behalf of the UK National Cancer Research Institute Acute Myeloid Leukemia Working Group. Among the study's key points were that pre-transplant minimal residual disease, or MRD, level evaluating nucleophosmin-1, or NPM-1, with reverse transcription quantitative PCR, or RTQPCR, is highly predictive of outcome, with thresholds of 200 copies per 10 to the 5th able copies in the peripheral blood, and 1,000 copies in the bone marrow being discriminatory. And... Relapse in patients with pre-transplant MRD positivity below these levels is largely restricted to those with FLT3 internal tandem duplication, or ITD positivity. By way of background, optimal therapy for patients with cytogenetically normal AML remains controversial, particularly consolidation with allogeneic transplant. Many recent studies have identified the presence of MRD detected by polymerase chain reaction, flow cytometry, or next-generation sequencing, or NGS, as a predictor of outcome. MRD status is increasingly used to allocate patients for transplantation. However, peritransplant management of MRD-positive patients remains highly challenging. Multiple studies have identified positive MRD immediately prior to allogeneic transplant using one of the aforementioned methods as a strong predictor of relapse. As relapse after allogeneic transplant carries a grave prognosis, there is growing interest in peritransplant interventions to reduce or eliminate MRD. Likewise, the effect of different conditioning regimens on the outcome of patients who are MRD positive remains unclear. While the majority of studies of pre-transplant MRD in AML have utilized flow cytometry, over half of patients with cytogenetically normal AML have mutations in the gene encoding NPM1. 
In these patients, RT-QPCR affords a sensitivity of 1 in 10 to the 5th to 10 to the 6th cells, which is 100 to 1,000-fold greater than flow cytometry and NGS. Thus, the strongly adverse outcome reported in patients who are MRD-positive using flow and NGS may not be applicable to NPM1-mutated patients with low-level positivity by PCR. Dylan and colleagues report the outcomes of a cohort of patients with NPM1-mutated AML treated on the UK National Cancer Research Institute AML-17 protocol who had pre-transplant molecular MRD assessment. The investigators analyzed pre-transplant blood and bone marrow samples by RT-QPCR in 107 patients with NPM1-mutated AML enrolled in the study. After a median follow-up of 4.9 years, patients with negative, low, meaning less than 200 copies per 10 to the 5th able copies in the peripheral blood and less than 1,000 copies in the bone marrow, and high levels of MRD had an estimated two-year overall survival of 83%, 63%, and 13% respectively. Focusing on patients with low-level MRD prior to allogeneic transplant, those with FLT3 ITD had significantly poorer outcome with a hazard ratio of death greater than sixfold. Combining these variables was highly prognostic, allowing stratification of patients into two groups with a two-year overall survival of 17% and 82%. T-cell depletion was associated with significantly reduced survival both in the entire cohort and in MRD-positive patients. However, there was no significant effect of either the conditioning regimen or donor source on outcome. These data indicate that patients with NPM1-mutated AML who test MRD-negative by RT-QPCR prior to transplant have an excellent chance of long-term survival regardless of other risk factors, including FLT3 status and independent of the intensity of the transplant conditioning regimen. NPM1 MRD positivity had an overall adverse effect on transplant outcome. However, in contrast to patients who are MRD positive by flow cytometry, or NGS, patients who test positive for NPM1 mutant transcripts prior to allogeneic transplant, do not have a universally poor outcome. Factors associated with adverse outcome are high levels of MRD and the presence of a FLT3 ITD mutation at diagnosis. Patients who are MRD positive before transplant and have one or both of these features have a poor prognosis due to a high risk of disease relapse. As the authors note, these findings require independent validation. For patients at the highest risk of relapse, they may benefit from an alternative approach prior to transplant, such as the use of FLT3 inhibition to reduce or eliminate MRD positivity below the thresholds identified. Alternatively, augmentation of the graft versus leukemia effect, for example, through avoidance or minimization of T-cell depletion, Early withdrawal of immunosuppression and or donor lymphocyte infusion may also be considered. Dylan and colleagues emphasize the need for randomized studies to further investigate these approaches. 
For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Blood Podcast series is made possible in part by support from Servier Pharmaceuticals.